Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Open All Night, Part 1. Midshift traffic passed by the diner with its usual intermittent clots of rollers, personal movers, and trams. Pedestrians dressed in work clothes and jumpsuits added to the business. A regular day. Emmy, more coffee! I've been waiting ten minutes over here! Have a hot! Except that Max Broelu stood inside the door, staring across the street with a set face. He only moved when a customer came in or wanted to leave. That was not regular. New guy, order up! Max stared at a tall, powerfully built man in fine attire on the other side of the street. This fellow had black hair, long in the back and spiked on top, and a big, downturned mustache to match. He wore dark shades, so it was hard to tell if he was staring back, though Max knew he was. So the dial was in the red zone when I got there, right? A full runaway cascade! The man across the way stood just outside the front door of Cabanare's Ristorante Italiano and greeted guests as they approached, opening the door for them. It was a retro-style manual door made of very nice faux wood. He thanked them for their patronage when they left, asking how the meal was and even flagging down a cab if they needed it. He was very friendly to them and solicitous. Most thought he was a doorman. Max didn't. Now I'll go through one more time, Dolly. It's three cases of tomatoes and four cases of pseudo ham. Someone tapped Max on the shoulder, wanting to leave, and he instinctively stepped to one side, eyes never leaving Carbonari's. Maxie, you can't let this get to you, the old woman told him as the door opened for her. She stepped through, but turned to add, The 4th Street Diner is an institution. They haven't got a chance. Thanks, Jill. See you tomorrow. My best to Harry. Right. Have a day. The woman tottered off, but Max felt like the day he was having was already a write-off. No guy, what are you doing over there? You're supposed to be over here. Immy caught Max's eye and motioned him over looking impatient. Top stock is out of tomatoes, Max. They have a shipment jumping in from Greenbelt tomorrow at 1300. All that's left right now are a couple of crates of bruised and smashed ones. The bot knocked over a big stack. If they're not rotten, tell them to send five kilos of the bruised. I'll make sauce. She conveyed the message on her ear set and gave him the thumbs up when she got an answer. And he's got a battle axe, no lie. 
totally wrong weapon class for the bout. It could all go away. After 25 years, it could end, just like that, all because of the souls. Two beat cops, Buck and Ben Grimble, came in for lunch then, and they grabbed seats at the counter. Buck, a big man from the neighborhood, was senior, while Ben Grimble, a short, stocky woman of middle years and a fairly recent immigrant from Duenda over the border, was his assigned rookie. She had, in fact, been an experienced lawkeeper in some Duke or Baron's private security force over there, but accepted policing methods in noble space were considerably different than those in the Alliance, to say nothing of the laws themselves, and she occasionally forgot herself. Max took their lunch orders himself, since he was just standing there, and tapped them into his pocket pad. They knew all about the bid coming up. Everybody knew. They expressed the same sentiments Jill had, and even said some disparaging things about Carbonari's, which was nice. What do you hear about that guy over there? Max asked, pointing through the front window. Don't know him, Officer Buck said. He stared where Max pointed in the disapproving way cops have when they're looking at something that might result in paperwork. He's caused the trouble? Officer Ben Grimble questioned in her high, noble space accent, and she jumped up, hand already on the stunner at her hip. No, nothing like that, Max assured quickly, guiding her back to her seat. He's new is all. Started when Higo Solo put in his bid. Makes me wonder. Big fella, Buck commented, turning back to the counter. I'll ask around. You let us know if he gives you any grief. I should be honored to talk to the man on your behalf, Bugs offered from his seat at the table next to the officers. He was an older fellow of impressive bulk. Not overly tall, he nonetheless had shoulders and arms twice the width of any man Max had ever seen. An ex-professional AMW fighter of middling success, Bugs came by his nickname honestly, occasionally suffering vivid flashbacks to his time in the ancient martial warfare leagues, despite numerous genetic and neural rehab treatments over the years. Kindy, his wife, had been cut gal for the team, and they'd bonded over his many broken bones, medical styptics, nerve block strips, skin gluings, and medieval mace-induced concussions. A rare beauty once, and still, Bugs was always quick to insist, Kindy's kindly smile and retiring ways belied nerves of steel among the clashing of arms and a strong stomach for the kind of damage that resulted from them. Max declined the old warrior's offer with a friendly pat on the arm, then retired to the kitchen to make sure the officer's orders were going. Pitt was there, a smackball game hovering over the grill from his portable tri-D, which was sitting precariously on the counter nearby. The device was badly battered, only held together with string and plastic cement, since he dropped it so many times. He'd even knocked it into the deep fryer once, and the machine had the melted, warped appearance to prove it. How the thing still functioned at all was a mystery. Come on! Pitt complained as his team gave up a penalty point. He reached through the ghost-like hologram to flip a burger in disgust. They can't turn this around now. This'll cost me a ten spot. Am I made of money they should be sleeping over there? You're all bums, he 
he screamed at the air. He spoke as if his team could hear him way over on Yumel Station, the sister settlement to Sousa, also in orbit around Dubin Sr., a red giant that dominated their binary star system. As if the approximately 100 million kilometers of vacuum in between, to say nothing of any hull lighting, was immaterial. You could just not bet on the game for once. The younger man looked at his boss like he'd spoken a foreign language. What's the point of watching Smackball if you don't have something riding on it? Most people don't watch Smackball when they're... Ah. Max just waved the other man away, unwilling to have the same old argument right now. Pitt studied him with concern. When his boss wasn't crabbing about something, you knew he was upset. You've been here forever, he offered. They can't give your license to those guys. Max had been headed for his closet-sized office and back to sulk, but rounded back on his midshift fry cook. One slot per commercial zone, Pitsky. That's the law. Everybody knows it. They sure as sewage know it. All that remodeling they did back in first quarter. Brenda Sowell told me to my face they were just expanding the bar. She says Carbonari's is going to start pushing happy hour. Then three weeks ago, I hear they put a bid in for the only FFSC license up for renewal in this entire section of Sousa. Mine. Ah, she's a slick one, Max, Pitt replied with a shake of his head. He scooped up the burger and placed it on a large bun. Smart and good-looking, but cold, you know? No heart. Good match for Higo, anyways. He's even worse. The burger was Bin Grimble's, Max could tell. No cheese, mayo instead of red sauce, and an extra pickle. He would have recognized it even if he hadn't taken the order, because he knew his customers. He knew what they liked and what they didn't. It wasn't that way across the street. It wouldn't be that way if they got the go-ahead to open up their counter service and steal away the breakfast and lunch crowds. Fast, full-service eatery. A diner. Not some sit-down restaurant with a new counter. Carbonari's didn't build themselves a special kitchen just to service the rush crowd. Everything would still be coming from Chef Luisa, and she moved like a turtle. Looked like one, too. It wouldn't be fast, and it wouldn't be cheap. It wasn't what a working-class neighborhood on this or any other space station needed. Then I hear you're making tomato sauce, Pitt asked, hoping to change the subject. Pasta special tomorrow? Yeah, or maybe chili. I don't know. New guy came in then, looking rushed. Mimsy still had four weeks on maternity, and they'd needed someone fast. New guy was sitting at the counter, eating a Reuben, when Max realized he didn't have a replacement. He asked Emmy if she knew anybody, but new guy offered himself up right then and there, a spacer between spacer jobs. He said he had steward training anyway, which was good enough. Knew his way around a mop, but didn't know anything about working a diner. Fat little guy, pushing 40 at least, and with a smart mouth. Max liked him, but a new guy was a new guy, and new guys don't get no respect. Whoa, he barked at the man. What's wrong? Table four spilled their salad. How do you spill salad? Okay, he dumped it then. The man has dressing all over his jacket. I'm getting a wet rag. New guy pushed on, grabbing a clean cloth off the linen rack. He want another salad? 
I don't know. He wet the towel in the big sink and wrung it out with a splash. You don't know? You should know. Go ask. No, forget that. I'll just make him a new one. I don't know if he wants one. He wants one. Table four? What time is it? Almost 1300? That'll be Georgie Flats. He always has a salad. He never dumps it. Pitsky, you ever see Georgie Flats dump his salad? Pitt shook his head with conviction. Never. Of course not. How'd it happen, new guy? Was it you? Did you dump it on him? No. I'll bet you dumped it on him. I didn't dump it on him. It's okay to admit when you're wrong, new guy. I didn't dump the man's salad. You can tell us. Nobody likes Georgie Flats anyway. Pitsky, you like Georgie Flats? Hate him. See? He hates him. I hate him. Everybody hates him. You can tell me if you did it. I won't yell. Can we get a couple rags out here? Immy hollered. Max, I can stand here and pretend you're getting me rattled, the new guy said, amused. Or I can go help your customer. I get paid the same either way. Max waved him off disgustedly. You're no fun at all, new guy. Pitt was smiling, but stopped when Max gave him a glare. Make Georgie a salad, the older man ordered. You said you were going to make it. That was just a dream, Pitt. Now wake up and get to work. Max stalked to his office and settled into the worn chair with a sigh and a creak from the springs. His mail display stared at him with malice. The notice of contention from the station's licensing authority sat there like a time bomb. In 25 years, no one had ever contended his slot until now. Fourth Street was a working-class neighborhood. The Ryder Avenue Commercial Zone, which included Fourth Street, allowed for only two FFSC licenses. One was held by Ugly Henry Sandwich Shop on 6th and Bellow, which had historic preservation status and therefore couldn't be touched. The other was for the Fourth Street Diner, soon to be up for renewal. City Hall had to limit how many and which kind of professional operations could be allowed to exist at any one time, since physical space aboard a station was so limited. Too many of the wrong businesses and the onboard economy could be in tatters. It often was anyway, but that didn't mean it couldn't get worse. A happy-sounding but largely inarticulate cry rose up from out front, and Max knew Kaby had arrived the diner's own jewel. She started at 1300 because of her undergrad course at Dubin Binary Union College, a place Max had never even been inside of, let alone attended himself. What would happen to her if the place went under? She hadn't gotten into grad school yet and maybe wouldn't. She'd need something to fall back on. And what would happen to Imelda with her bad feet and hips? Or to Pitt out there, cursing under his breath for having to make a new salad. Pitt had a wife and kid. And then there was Flo and Jev. They were his family, or near enough. Where is he? He heard Gonda ask. She must have come in with KB. Those two were as close as family on their own, like a mother and daughter, maybe. Though KB already had a mom and dad, nice people. Gonda was like an aunt, then. A cool on. In his office, crying, Pitt replied. You're fired, Max shouted through the open door. Okay, Pitt acknowledged, rummaging through the produce bin. Are we out of tomatoes? 
Everybody's out of tomatoes, he replied. Slice up one of those green mangatos. Pitt thought about that a second and then nodded, liking the idea. Gonda came in and stood by the door. She looked very good in her gray, double-breasted suit, which on her made for a lot of breast. Her auburn hair was long in back and braided, and Max had to catch his breath, just like always. She studied him with her bright blue eyes for a long moment, and he turned back at the notice on his screen. She hated being ignored, so he ignored her. Max, how old am I? He didn't look up, dreading a trap, though he did reply. Old enough for you to know I would never answer that question. You don't know how old I am, do you? I was KB's age when you opened this place. I worked for SureShine Superclean, where the rec drug place is now. I came in for lunch every single day. Do you know why I came here every single day? Another trap. It was a minefield. Maxie's patented smile? Because this was the only diner on the street. It still is. It still will be. So you hate the food, you're saying? You can joke if you want to, but you'll have to deal with the fact that your fears are groundless. The 4th Street Dino will go on. Now snap out of this funk and go say hi to our girl. She'll think you're mad at her if you stay back here. I'm not in a funk, he replied, getting to his feet, and then added loudly, And I'm not crying. Can't hear you. I drowned in your tears five minutes ago, Pitt stated while peeling one of the hybrid fruits. He lifted his shoulders and hovered on his toes in a weightless manner. I'm just floating here, waiting for the sharks. The cook then looked up at the apparition of his smackball team losing another point and furiously flipped a long green ribbon of fleshy rind at them. It sailed straight through the game and out the open window to the front counter. Hey! Crisper complained. Crap! Sorry, Crisp! Pitt offered, craning his neck through the opening. The generators are trailing 34 to 6. To 6! They're a bunch of chumps! Did you at least play the spread? Nah, I'm stupid. I keep thinking maybe this is their year. It'll never be for the gens. Jocelyn's gonna kick your backside three ways to the sky she finds out you throwed away money. Hey, the cook protested, suddenly frightened and retreating from the window. It's only ten. A bowl then appeared on the sill, and he called out, New guy, salad's up. Try not to dump this one. The whole diner laughed at that, even new guy. Max sauntered out nonchalantly. It took some effort. Hi, Max, KB offered excitedly from across the expanse of the diner. She stood by a table, taking an order, and he waved back with as easy a smile as was manageable. A perky and happy young girl. Young woman, he had to remind himself. She wasn't that goofy, 15-year-old greenie anymore, working only two mornings a week. Seven years KB had been with the diner, winning every heart in the place, employee and customer alike. Still technically a part-timer, she went to school during the day. They'd held her graduation party from Baseline Ed right here, closing the place for a full shift. Now she was in advanced training for some technical whoozy what's it that was sure to take her far from Sousa someday. Maybe someday soon.
and then they'd all lose their bright little light. Things sure did seem to come in waves. She's not gone yet, admonished Gonda at his side, reading his thoughts. And neither is the diner. Honestly, Max, I've never seen you like this. And you aren't seeing it now, he groused, moving back to his post by the door. Aren't seeing what? Kindy asked, because he was passing her and Bugs's table at that moment. Your husband's butt, he threw back automatically, unwilling to get into it with anybody else. That got chuckles for the lack of context, but it was clear to everyone that Max was on edge. When he got to the door again, he saw that a long roller had pulled up in front of Carbonari's Ristorante Italiano. It was the Souls, Higo and Brunda, 4th Street's abuse-of-power couple. It was hard not to be impressed by them. Higo, a Sousa Station local from a wealthy family up near King Boulevard, had a tall, lithe frame, cunning smile, and slicked-back hair. Brunda, from some fancy station over in Jarden's system, had dark, vampish looks and brilliant eyes. Higo was the audacious one and could be very difficult to deal with if he saw himself at any kind of disadvantage, while Brunda was patient and unswerving. Together, they played the long and short game simultaneously, like a juggling act. It made them up-and-comers, people to watch and to watch out for. They'd bought Carbonari's three years before from the last remaining family member of that name on Sousa. It had come down in the world quite a bit by then, as had the rest of the neighborhood, and they'd gotten it at a bargain price, so the scuttle had butted. They remodeled it quickly, cleanly, and elegantly, and started on the long road of gentrification for 4th Street, which they made no bones of being part of their extended business strategy. This, of course, had isolated them from the neighborhood residents, but it got the movers and shakers on station all abuzz. Last year, dressmaker Mickey, the tailor-slash-seamstress who'd been on the corner of 4th and Loudon for as long as Max could remember, had finally been persuaded to sell her lease. Hiller Foods ILLC, a giant restaurant chain with thousands of small cookie-cutter patisseries under the Roasted Shots Coffeehouse brand scattered on stations all across settled space, had paid her three times the market value. This immediately spurred Sousa Realtors to reassess said values all across the neighborhood, and taxes went up accordingly. This intrusion into 4th Street was widely seen as portentous, but since shots were exclusively automat-style restaurants, falling under a different license category entirely, it wasn't technically viewed as being competition to Max or his diner. The number of people running in for quick coffee and tea drinks was down, though, nor were pies and cakes moving like they used to, so Max had formed his own opinion on that point. Across the street... Brunda swept into the restaurant, already snapping orders. She acted as maitre d' when it suited her. But Higo had stopped by the big man at the door, who whispered to him conspiratorially. Their overt glances, aimed at Max, revealed their conversation plainly enough. Higo laughed, fully amused, and made a show of waving across the street before finally turning the friendly gesture into another one, decidedly more obscene. Max felt his face flush. 
Max, leave it alone, Gonda, who'd been watching the whole time, commanded, just as he waved for the door to open and stalked out. Higo held his evil grin when he saw his fellow restaurateur plant himself on the sidewalk, bald fists on wide, aproned hips, an angry scowl shooting lasers across the road. A big roller van rumbled by, obscuring the view, but when it cleared, Max had several people at his side, all trying to persuade him to go back in. You should listen to your employees and customers, Max, Higo shouted. Their feedback is vital to a restaurant's success. Max Broelu heard, and the effect was all Higo could have hoped for. Layoff, the fry cook barked, shrugging clear of Bugs and Gonda, who'd taken hold of his arms. He stalked out into the street, heedless of the rollers in both lanes, lurching to screeching emergency halts, passengers and onboard AIs alike cursing at him with passion. Higo Sowell lifted his well-formed chin in defiance, stepping forward to meet the man halfway, his doorman only a step behind. Behind Max, the diner fully emptied, people now filling the sidewalk and spilling into the road. They were all there, including KB looking scared, and even New Guy looking serious. He knew he liked New Guy for a reason. Rollers honked and beeped but they were only percussion to the mood. The big man next to Higo spoke into his wrist, and in a moment there were similar troop movements on their side of 4th Street. Smartly uniformed waiters, bussers, and cooks scrambled out, looking ready for trouble. Some held bottles, some had kitchen implements. The baker, her face pinched and eyes narrowed, held a crusty baguette in one hand, smacking the other like it was a billy club. Officers Buck and Bin Grimble pushed their way forward quickly, planting themselves between the two groups. Break it up, you two, Buck bellowed. By his side, Bin Grimble was doing a nervous little side-to-side -side dance, head snapping from one group to the other, her stunner out and held at arm's length, pointing to the road but itching for another target. Just a little tete-a-tete, officers, Higo offered, still grinning perfect hair shining off the station's bright ceiling lights far over their heads. There's going to be no tedding today, soul, the policeman replied. Every time I see this guy, Max accused, stepping forward, he throws me a dig. I've had it up to here. Higo's doorman moved as well, and tiny Bin Grimble brought up her weapon, pleased to have a viable enemy at last. The man hesitated. Mickelston! his boss ordered mildly. Don't be hasty. We just want to clear the air, right, Maxie? It won't be clear until you're not stinking up life support anymore, Sowell. Why don't you and that spider you married find another station to haunt? Standing on the sidewalk in front of Carbonari's, Brunda's hard face turned to pure poison at that. Max, come back inside, Emmy warned from somewhere behind him. Everybody go back inside, Buck ordered, looking from one group to the other. If I have to call this in, HQ will send for fleet riot troops. We're talking powered armor. They'll run express down from the hub and crack every head they see. So just keep it cool. Ja, 
Ben Grimble echoed loudly in her thickly accented pixie voice, stunner rock steady upon the center of Mickelston's considerable mass. Beetle cooling it! Max stood there, akimbo, outraged, unmoving, and with a glare that could cut solid polinium. Higo drew himself up straight, his disdainful grin now more of a sneer, perfect hair shining, perfect wife watching. No one said a word. Even the mouthy AIs on the rollers seemed to sense the tension and go silent. Then Bugs, at the fry cook's elbow, drew a deep breath and bellowed, Have at thee, vile knaves! And the mobs rushed forward like magnets flying together. listening to Open All Night, a short story written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2015 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Open All Night is called Music of Frog by Karogi and is available on SoundCloud.com. Open All Night is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>